<laughs> Thank you. Thanks, thanks, Matt. Uh, always nice to be mildly insulted before I uh, talk at a church. Promedian, that's as good as his jokes get. Well, the next 40 minutes are going to be awkward for you then, aren't they? Um, it's so nice to be with you. Thanks, everyone. It's so nice to be here, um, either in Hertfordshire or Bedfordshire, depending on where it is that I actually am. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. And neither are you. Like, we don't, don't look at us, Andy. We don't know. Where am I? Hertfordshire. Hertfordshire. Hitchin in Hertfordshire. It's really nice uh, to be with you. Can we give it up for the worship guys? Because they were uh, um, amazing. One of, the, uh, one of the best Christian boy bands I've ever seen. I should give them, a, have they got a, like a name, like Leviticus or something like that? We should give them that name. Uh, so uh, as, as Matt said, um, I, uh, I live in Chesterfield. I I'm a comedian and a preacher and work at Redeeming King Church and spend a lot of my time basically talking about Jesus, um, which is not something I really wanted to do for most of my life. It's sort of happened against my own wishes, but that's what happens when the Lord shows up. Uh, you end up doing what he wants and not what you want and then actually enjoying it. But um, do you know what the most famous thing about Chesterfield is? The, yeah, the crooked spire. We've got a crooked spire. Uh, we've also got now the second most famous thing is we've got a, a, a Christian bakery. It's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, a Christian bakery. Um, if you were going to do a Christian bakery, what would you call a Christian bakery? Uh, Bread of Life would be a good one. Manna from Heaven. They've actually called it Baguette Behind Me Satan. Is the um, <laughs> is the name? I didn't say it was a popular bakery. I just said it was a bakery. <laughs> a Happy Father's Day. I don't know. I've got my hands behind my back like I'm a general in the army. I'm just I'm just selling myself in. Um, Happy Father's Day. I am a father as well. I've got two uh, little girls. I've got Alice, who's six, and then Heidi, who's three. And I have to say, I know, all, I know all parents think that their children are geniuses. I know that. But honestly, I think my daughter Heidi might be cleverer than any of your children. I'll tell you why. Despite only being three years old, this morning for Father's Day, my daughter Heidi bought for me a bottle of 12-year-old Talisker whiskey. Wow. It's my favourite whiskey. Isn't that amazing? I was so impressed. <laughs> I was quite surprised as well, because for Mother's Day, they didn't get their mum anything. So um, <laughs> I'm not saying they've got a favourite. I'm just saying if they have, it's probably me. I want to start... Um, by the way, I'm here to preach the gospel. Gospel means uh, good news. I'm here to give you some good news. But it is okay to enjoy it, you know. One of my mottos is, it's perfectly acceptable to have a good time listening to the good news. Amen? Amen. Okay, so it's okay to have a nice time. I want to start um, by reading you. It was my, uh, my mum's um, birthday uh, recently. So I took her to Brussels in Belgium. She wanted to go to Venice, but I work in the arts, and so she should just be grateful it wasn't Butlin Skegness. Um, but I checked TripAdvisor to uh, I checked TripAdvisor before we went to gauge which hotel we should stay at. And I'm going to read you three genuine reviews of hotels in Brussels on TripAdvisor. Uh, are you familiar with TripAdvisor? Yeah. You've got the review, then the star rating. These are all bona fide. You can check these out online later if you want to. And then we'll make a, a point about them. So they're all written by ladies. There's no rude words in these. But here we are, three genuine reviews on TripAdvisor for hotels in Brussels. The first one, I imagine, is written by a businesswoman in her late 20s, early 30s. I'll just get into character. Perfect. 
<laughs> First one. I was travelling alone. I checked in and a man on the stairs offered to carry my bags. I presumed he was a porter. <laughs> it wasn't until he entered my room and suggested that we have a bath together <laughs> that I had my doubts. Still only doubts at this point. Still giving him the benefit, bless her. Don't put cold in first, you moron. <laughs> Suddenly, it struck me this was no porter. Well done, Sherlock. <laughs> I alerted the concierge, who looked mortified, and went searching for the man with a fire extinguisher and some nearby cutlery that he'd recently finished polishing. <laughs> Apparently, it was the fourth time this week something like this had happened. One star. So that's the first one. One star. Fair enough. Slightly on the generous side, if you ask me. This is the second one, different lady, different hotel, same website. I unlocked the door to my bedroom to find an elderly gentleman lying on my bed, talking to a dog with no clothes on. You're absolutely right, it's not clear at this point which of them doesn't have the clothes on. Fear not, she's about to clear it up. This was unacceptable. The hotel website specifically said, no dogs. Because <laughs> that's the thing to fret about, isn't it? The stray pet. Not Mr. Nudie Rudy. One star there as well, you won't be surprised to hear. This is my favourite one. This is written by a lady in her 70s from Manchester, where I used to live. Bear in mind, bear in mind, she's in Brussels. <laughs> This hotel misled me into believing that it was in Paris. <laughs> I know, she's gone all that way. She's gone all that way. A hotel in Belgium should have a Belgian name, not a French one. My husband was most disappointed and has since died. Doesn't say whether it's as a result of the disappointment. <laughs> then the weirdest bit of all, she finishes with, overall, four stars. Four stars! <laughs> now, the point is this. Is this in case I want to do a, a miracle with bread and fish yeah. later on? Okay, well, I hadn't really planned that one. The point is this. If you only read those reviews for those hotels? Is there any way that you would want to go to stay at any of those hotels? Of course you wouldn't, no. And let me tell you, all of those hotels have got plenty of five-star reviews as well. But if you only read those reviews, there is absolutely no way you would choose, unless you were some kind of massive sadomasochist, there's no way you would go there because of the way the human mind works. The human mind tends to believe the first thing it hears about any one thing. That's just how we work. If you hear two comedians doing the same joke, because of the way your mind works, you'll assume that the person you heard second stole it from the person you heard first. And that might not be true. He might have stolen it from me. <laughs> but because of the way your human mind works, you tend to believe the first thing you hear about any one thing. And it's the same with anything. Romans, Romans 10 says faith comes through hearing. And faith 
about anything comes through hearing. Faith doesn't mean blind faith. It means putting your trust in based on the evidence. And it's the same with Christianity. There are people, there are people in this room living off a one-star review of Jesus. And that isn't your fault. It isn't your fault. But what is your responsibility is if you hear something this morning that changes your mind, let it. In Hebrews it says, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. So I just ask you this morning, if you hear something this morning that threatens to change your mind and crank up that star rating of Jesus, please let it. Because that's all I'm here to do. If you're on a one star and I can get you to two and a half, that's a win for me. If you're on four and a half and I can get you to five and a half, well, five and a half isn't a star rating, so you've done something wrong. (laughs) And it's not my fault. You've got to play by the rules. It's the same with me, though, you know. Um, I was raised on a three-star review of Jesus. I was raised, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, because a home can't be Christian. Only a person can be Christian. But I was raised in a Christian family, and so I was raised on a three-star review. When I was um, six years old, I think, I had a really bad nervous twitch. I used to uh, blink compulsively. I used to have a terrible uh, nervous cough. And on one occasion, my infant school teacher, Mrs. Jones, in front of everybody, shouted out, will you stop shaking your head and twitching? And it was horrible. And I felt really sad. And I went home that night and I said to mum as she was uh, reading me my my story, um, I said, mum, I hate this. I don't want this twitch. And my mum had prayed for me lots of times before. But she put her hand on my head and she said, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray that God would take away your twitch. And as she prayed, I started to feel really dizzy. Even though I was lying down, I started to feel really dizzy. I said, Mom, I feel really dizzy. What's going on? And she said, oh, well, that's, that's God. That's God coming to take your twitch away. And as she left the room, I remember thinking, any moment now, I'm going to shake my head. Any moment now, I'm going to cough. I'm going to twitch. I'm going to blink compulsively. And I waited and I waited and I'm still waiting. So you see, at six years of age, I knew, I knew God's power. I knew that he was real, and I knew that he was somehow invested in me, and he had the power to change things. But that wasn't the only thing I heard about Jesus. You see, the gospel is never heard in isolation. The gospel is always heard against the backdrop of the society in which it's heard. And so we've got to be very careful that things that sound Christian actually are. Because you see, I was told lots of things about Jesus and about Christianity and about me. We were pro-Jesus. We would have voted Jesus in an election. But the main thing I was told about life, the main thing I was told is that the main thing in life is, is to make something of yourself. That's the main thing I was raised to believe, is that you make something of yourself. You get yourself a good education so you can get yourself a good job. So that when your kids come along, they can get a good education and they can get a good job. So when they're boring, (laughs) boring, it's good advice, but it's not good news. It's not the gospel. It disagrees with the gospel. In the letter to the Philippians, I'll quote lots of uh, little passages here. Uh, but don't feel like you have to follow them in your Bible. In the letter to the Philippians, Philippians 2, Paul, the Apostle Paul, says of Jesus, not considering equality with God something to be grasped at, he made himself what? Famous, wealthy, incredibly popular? Nothing. Jesus made himself nothing so that God's power could be demonstrated through him. So if I'm claiming to be a Christian, following somebody who made himself nothing, while trying to make something of myself... 
There's just a discrepancy there. No wonder people aren't responding to the gospel because it's not really the gospel that they're getting from me. I inherited, you see, this is what we've got to, we've got to be careful of. When you become a Christian, you inherit the Christianity that you've come into. We, the great thing about having a father, if you've got a good father, is that you model him. When you've got a good dad, you tend to be a good dad to your kids because we model what we see. Faith comes by hearing and actions come by seeing. So God's a good, good father. For those of us who haven't had great fathers, we, find, we tend to find it more difficult to be fathers ourselves because we don't have a good example. You see, faith comes by hearing. I inherited a Christianity that wasn't actually biblical Christianity. I inherited something more rightly called middle-class Christianity. I don't know if you've heard of that. Some of you in here have inherited it as well. And look, there's nothing wrong with you know, being middle-class or Christian. It's good to be at least one of those things. <laughs> I inherited middle-class Christianity. I was shown, not by what people said because they said the right things. I, I was shown by how people lived that life wasn't all about Jesus. Life wasn't all about Jesus. Life was about providing comfort and security for yourself and your family. And again, friends, that is good advice, but it's not the gospel. It's not good news. It disagrees again with the New Testament because in the letter to the Hebrews, the writer says right at the start of the letter to the Hebrews of Jesus, that God the Father created the universe through him and appointed him heir to all things. It says that Jesus is the full radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He sustains all things by his powerful work. Whether we like it or not, the Bible says that life is all about Jesus. He started it, he sustains it, he'll wrap it up in the end. And if life isn't all about Jesus, then the Bible is lying and we can have a line on a Sunday. And I'm fine with that. You know, I'm fine with that. The Bible... Christianity isn't a bit true. It's either the truth or it's the greatest deception in the history of the world. And the Bible even acknowledges this. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, if the dead will not be raised, eat, drink and be merry because we're going to die. Essentially, Paul says, you know, if Christianity is not true, then hedonism is the right way to go. Get drunk, binge eat because you're going to die anyway. It's, it's so rare. There is no other place in any religious literature where the people in that religion say, what if we're wrong? Christianity is humble enough to say, if we're wrong, then we really are wrong. We're morons. So if life isn't all about Jesus, then the Bible is lying. However, if the Bible isn't lying and life is all about Jesus, then I'm afraid somebody else is lying. And in my case, it was the tenets of middle-class Christianity. I inherited a Christianity where the good news was basically that I was white and raised in the West. And I'm sorry, that's not the good news. That's not my inheritance. The stairway to heaven is not the same as a career ladder. My, my inheritance and your inheritance, the book of Peter says, the letter, Peter's letter, first letter. Peter says that your inheritance is something that can neither perish, spoil, nor fade. And it isn't a good salary, a mortgage, a garden, and a saga holiday when you get to Matt's age. <laughs> How many saga holidays have you been on? Now, the last few years you've been... Ten, ten years. Yeah. 
your inheritance is not, is not a happy material life. Your inheritance are things like this. Love, joy, hope, peace, purpose, fullness of life. These are real things that you can experience now and keep forever. This is your inheritance. You need to listen to me on this because I, I like to make a joke and I like us to have a good time. But I'm also deadly serious about the gospel. I've even got it tattooed on my arm. That's how serious I am. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, freedom is your birthright. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, freedom is your birthright. You have a large share in hope. Peace was created with you in mind. This is your inheritance. If you are already calling yourself a Christian, then you can already live this out and walk this out. If you wouldn't currently call yourself a Christian, well, the truth is still the same, but there's just a decision that you have to make, and we're hoping that today maybe you will make it. You see, when you came in, it's a bit weird. When I first became a Christian at the age of 22, and I came into churches, uh, and I saw people raising their hands in worship, I thought, what are you doing, you morons? Why are you doing this? Why are you getting so excited? And I know now why people get excited, because you know what? Christianity is not a set of rules to be followed. It's a relationship to be known. God is not a sergeant major. He's not a factory owner. He's not the demon headmaster. He is a loving father to be known. He is the good, good father. So when people put their hands up in worship, it's like when a toddler falls over and runs to their parent. It's us saying, Daddy, Daddy, we're here. Pick us up. We're here. We need you. Pick us up. He's a good, good father. So if you're here, it might, be, it might be surprising for you at this point that I'm not trying to convince you that God exists. I probably will later. But also, do you know what? Believing that God exists won't change anything. Believing that there is a God won't change your life. Because do you know who else believes that? All the demons. The book of James says that. You know, even the demons believe in God. Do you know, even if you believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact... Actually, that won't change your life. What will change your life is not believing that the resurrection is a fact, but living as though the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest truth at the center of the universe. Only when you live as though it's the truth will things change. See, my friends, a lot of my friends are atheists, and they'll say to me, Andy, we like you, and we like your denim jacket. I say, thanks, that's very kind of you. But Christianity is ridiculous. Do people say that to me? They say, Christianity is ridiculous. And you know what I say when someone says to me that what I believe is ridiculous? I say, absolutely correct. It is. Have you thought about it? Have you thought about what it is that we actually believe? The idea behind Christianity is the idea that God took on human form, came to earth 2,000 years ago, lived the perfect life, allowed himself to be killed, and then three days later beat death, rose from the dead, overturning the power of death, so that 2,000 years later, us, in 2019, in Hertfordshire, could know him in the way that we were supposed to know him. <laughs> that's not just ridiculous. That's absolutely binky bonkers. 
That's Arkham Asylum insane. Now, don't get me wrong, I haven't changed my mind. My entire life is dedicated to trying to convince people that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. But it doesn't mean that I don't think it's ridiculous, because I do think it's ridiculous. But a couple of things to say on this. First of all, if I have to understand something for it to be true, then what I'm saying is, I am God. If something can only be true if I understand it, then I'm the Lord, really, aren't I? I'm the sustainer of life. And we know that that isn't how things play out. I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. When I saw Inception by Christopher Nolan the first time, and even the sixth time, I loved it. I didn't actually understand what it was about. But what I didn't do was think, well, Christopher Nolan probably doesn't exist then, does he? He's probably not a real person. I don't understand his work, therefore he's not real. Which is a shame, because I would have really enjoyed watching the Batman trilogy, but he never made them because he's not real. What a shame. <laughs> Something doesn't have to be understandable by me for it to be true. But even beyond that, if you look at any worldview, any worldview, not just any religion, but any worldview, at some point it becomes ridiculous. At some point you reach a stage where you cannot process it where it stops making sense to our human comprehension and understanding. Let's take, the let's take the creation of the universe. Every worldview has to, at some point, engage with the creation of the universe. Now, scientists will tell us that there are two possible ways that the material universe came into being. There's two ways, and only two ways, that the material universe came into being. Option one, and some of you won't like option one, but that's okay, because you've got option two coming up. <laughs> option one is that it was created, the universe was created by something outside of itself. Something or someone that would have to be immaterial, as in not having a body, massively powerful, timeless, something that we might call God. Small g, if you want. Some of you don't like that, so you have option two. <laughs> option two is this. The universe created itself out of nothing. And we know from the sound of music that nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. Julie Andrews taught us that. <laughs> Julie Andrews taught us that, and she's practically perfect in every way. <laughs> I know those are two different Julie Andrews films. But honestly, those are your two options. Either the universe was created by God or a God, or out of nothing, nothing created everything for no purpose and reason. Both of those are ridiculous. One of them's true, whether you like it or not. One of those is true, and you get to decide which you think makes more sense. You know what? Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Just pick a miracle. <laughs> pick your miracle. Choose today whom you will serve. So my friends will say that. They'll say, Andy, Christianity is, is ridiculous. And I, I agree that it's ridiculous. But everything's ridiculous at some point. And you know what? Once we've agreed, if we can at least call it nil-nil, if we can at least agree that everything stops making sense at some point, and we call it nil-nil, then we are still left with the reality that something about the universe is true. However you feel about life, life is a true story. The universe is telling a true story. And the question is, who's the author? Who's the author of the story? And it might be nothing. You know, the story of the universe might be the equivalent of somebody falling asleep on the keypad and just random letters being spewed out. One star, if that's the case. 
But the author of the story of the universe might be personal. It might be Jesus Christ, in which case it's a great story. And the thing you find about great stories is that they tend to be reviewed as unputdownable. And that's what Jesus claims to be. He claims to be unputdownable. Death couldn't hold him. So we have to work out, we have to decide for ourselves what we think makes the most sense of what we know to be true. See, when I became uh, a Christian at the age of uh, 22, after university, I went searching for meaning. I went searching, as we all do at some point in our lives, I went searching for meaning. And I wasn't sure what I believed about the big story, by which I mean the reality of the universe, the big story that the universe is telling. I wasn't sure what I believed about that. But I knew that there were things I believed to be true about myself. There were things that I knew about me. I had a little story. My story was true. And my intent was to find the big story, like two halves of an amulet. My aim and my intent was to find the big story that matched my little story. You see, some of the things that I knew to be true and some of the things that we all, I think, in this room know to be true. There's lots of them. I'm going to just use five. But there's other things like the transcendental nature of music. When you listen to music that you love, it takes you outside of yourself towards something higher. These are all signposts. Some of the main signposts are these. Unconditional love. I knew I believed in unconditional love. I wanted to give and receive love unconditionally. Another way of saying that is that I didn't want to be rejected because of who I was or what I'd done. I knew that. And if you've got, if you've got kids, if you are a father or a mother, you believe in unconditional love because you love your kids unconditionally. I knew unconditional love was a thing. I knew that I was wired for things like freedom and purpose and hope. I knew these were things that I was going after. Whatever I believed about the big story, in my little story, I was going after these things. I knew that I believed in the power of forgiveness, that forgiveness is wired into human experience. When someone says to you, I'm sorry I wronged you, it feels amazing. When you say sorry to someone and they say, I forgive you, it feels amazing, and your relationship flourishes as a result of that. Conversely, if someone says to you, I'm not sorry for what I did to you, or I don't think I did anything wrong, you also know that the relationship breaks down. There is no relationship without trust. Confession, repentance, and forgiveness are wired into the universe and human experience. Confession, I've done something wrong. Repentance, I'm not going to do it again. Forgiveness, I release you from it. These are wired into our experience. I knew that death felt unnatural. When my granddad died, he lived a really long and and happy life. Um, um, I mean, he he was wounded by a German um, on holiday in Alicante in the 1980s. Emotionally wounded, really. He was wearing Bermuda shorts. He didn't have the knees for it. But, um, you know, he died doing what he loved, um, scrolling Facebook while driving on the motorway. Um, that, that bit's not true. But when he died, even though he'd lived a long and happy life, it felt unnatural that he wasn't there. So I knew, and I know, and you know, that death feels unnatural. It feels wrong. It feels as though it shouldn't be that way. I knew... And I know, and you know, that there are certain things that are objectively wrong. And we might disagree 
on some of the things that are objectively wrong, but we all have in us a core of things that we believe are objectively wrong. Nobody in this room thinks that abusing a child is a matter of opinion. You all know that it's wrong. You see, one of the big stories that we're told by our society, one of the big lies is that the meaning of life is to give life meaning. That's what we're told. The meaning of life is to give life meaning. And it sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Imagine that. Wow, I get to create my own meaning. It sounds really freeing, but it's a massive lie. It also takes about five seconds to dispel. Because if the meaning of life is simply to give life meaning, then on Remembrance Sunday, we should celebrate Hitler. Because Hitler, on a purely evolutionary, atheistic, godless universe, Hitler nailed it. Hitler was one of the most successful members of the species that we've ever seen. And you all know who I mean by Hitler. Like, you don't think I mean Jimmy Hitler, who works at the cricket club, who really needs to change his name. (laughs) If we are simply molecules, if there is no God, then life is simply about surviving as well as you can for as long as you can. And Hitler nailed it. Think about it. A little man. He took on the greatest powers of the world and nearly won. He captivated the hearts of a nation. Imagine if you could do that. But none of you in this room think that what Hitler did was acceptable. Nobody in this room thinks that it was okay or a matter of opinion. You know it was wrong. When Hitler exterminated six million Jews, he didn't create his own meaning. He trampled on meaning and destroyed meaning because he destroyed value. He destroyed people who have value. You see, that's what evil does. Evil comes and it tramples life. Imagine if there was a story out there where life itself came and trampled death so that it kind of lost its sting. Imagine if there was a story like that. So I knew these things, that I believed in unconditional love. I was wired for freedom. Death felt unnatural. Forgiveness was a real thing. And some things are objectively wrong. And as I went searching for meaning, as I went searching for the answers, as I went searching for the other half of the amulet, I came to the conclusion that there's only one story out there that makes sense of my little story. There's only one big story out there that makes sense of my little story, and it's the story of Jesus Christ. It's the story of the cross, as ridiculous as it might seem. That's the only big story that makes sense of my little story. That makes sense of my origin story. Do you know what I mean by an origin story? In superhero lore, the origin story is the thing that makes sense of why the superhero acts as they do. So with Batman, the reason that Batman turns up in a bat suit fighting crime It's because when he was a kid, he saw his parents murdered and he couldn't do anything about it. And his greatest fear is bats. So when he turns up, it makes sense why he's dressed like that. Because he's facing his fears and he's trying to bring justice where he couldn't bring it in the past. That makes sense. That makes sense of his origin story. If it turned out that Bruce Wayne had never suffered a bereavement and his biggest fear wasn't bats, but going into a cafe, ordering a drink, only to find that they didn't have any Wi-Fi. That's not a good origin story. If it turned out that Bruce Wayne only dressed as a bat because he worked in home base and he was really bored. (laughs) That's not a good reason to turn up dressed as a bat. 
It's like, hey, who's this guy turning up with nunchucks in a bat suit? Did he see his parents killed as a child? No, 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 his parents are fine. No, no, they, uh, they live in Harpenden. Yeah, they're doing really well, actually, yeah. <laughs> no, no, he just, he just works in home base. What, that guy, the, the Batman, yeah, he just works in home base. He's the, he's the top lawnmower salesman in home base, three years running. Is he really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Because I, 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 love, I love talking about lawnmowers. Then you're going to love me. See, that's the... Um, <laughs> The question is, what is the origin story that makes sense of your story? What is the origin story that makes sense of why you are as you are and where you are? Is it atheism? You know what? Atheism might be true. Any of these stories might be true. But atheism makes the least sense of why you are as you are. Atheism makes the least sense of what you know to be true about yourself. Atheism is the worst origin story for why you are as you are. You see, if atheism is true, then there is no right, there is no wrong, there's no justice, there's no objective love, there's just survival. You survive for as long as you can, for as well as you can, and as I said, on that, Hitler didn't do anything wrong. My origin story is Samba. <laughs> You're lucky I'm in preaching mode, not comedy mode. Otherwise, you would now be dead. <laughs> but I'm preaching life this morning, not death, so we're all right. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> if atheism is true, there is no objective morality. Nothing is really wrong or really right. And whilst we might say to Hitler... That's not how we would have done it. We can't really say that he was doing anything wrong because all he was doing was surviving, survival of the fittest. That's all he was doing. He was actually doing, he was actually following the remit of godless humanity. If atheism is true, then forgiveness might be helpful, but it might not be as helpful as vengeance. These have equal value. Look at some of the people who run the world. You don't need to forgive people to live a happy and fulfilling life. If atheism is true, then I'll give you one thing. You are free. You are free and you do have purpose. You are free to be a bunch of random molecules bumping into one another and dancing off against other random molecules until you reach your great reward, which is extinction. This is the good news of atheism, my friends. The good news of atheism. Whether you die at 92 years age, 92 years of age after a joy-filled life of humanitarian aid work or you die screaming in pain at nine weeks, your reward is the same. Obliteration annihilation, extinction. Why? Because on atheism, the universe doesn't love you. The universe isn't sure why it created itself, let alone why you're here. The universe doesn't love you. The universe loves you in the same way that the pastry in a Greg's pie loves the gravy. You just happen to be in the middle. Unconditional love on atheism is not real. It's not a thing. And you know what? Death shouldn't feel unnatural on atheism. Death shouldn't feel unnatural because not only is death a natural part of life, but death is actually the great hero of the story. Death is the great hero of atheism. It's the bridegroom waiting for us at the end of the aisle. It's the cowboy riding off into the sunset with our destiny. Death always wins. You see, wired into you is the belief that love should win. You think that love should win, but I'm really sorry, and I am sorry. If atheism is true, then hashtag death wins every single time. But what again? What if there was a story? 
where love and life itself came down and took on death head to head at the greatest crossroads in human history. And for the first time ever, death lost. Would you be interested in that? I know I would. So atheism might be true, but it doesn't make any sense of why you know what you know about yourself. But there's lots of other worldviews, lots of other religions. So my tour at the moment is called Hidden in Plain Sight. And I was doing this show down in Bath, and this guy, we'll call him Charlie. It wasn't his real name. I want to protect his identity. His name was Henry, so we'll call him Charlie. Um, He came up to me at the end. He said, Andy, I loved your show. You're You're a funny guy. I said, funny how? Like a clown, I amuse you. He said, you're a funny guy. He said, what I didn't like, I didn't like the bit where you talked about Jesus being the only way to God. I said, okay. He said, I find that very exclusive. I said, I agree that that's exclusive. I agree that it's exclusive. He said, you see, the thing is, I believe that all religions lead to God. There are many ways to God. I said, okay. I mean, the thing is, again, it takes about five seconds to disprove. All religions don't claim to be the same. All religions are not the same. ISIS are religious, and so's Mary Berry. Those two groups are not the same. The reason that Bake Off was taken off BBC was not because Mary Berry tried to decapitate the star baker. All religions are not the same, and they don't claim to be the same. This guy said to me, I believe that there's many ways to God, and this is something that a lot of people believe. There must be many ways to God. I said, fine, let's hope that's true. Tell me, I said, tell me, Charlie, about this God. Tell me about this God to whom there are many ways. He said, well, it's the things that you talked about. He's unconditional love and he's freedom and he's peace and he's joy. I said, that sounds amazing. The problem is, Charlie, you haven't described the God of Buddhism there because he was a practicing Buddhist, he said. I said, you haven't described the God of Buddhism. You've described Jesus Christ and nobody else. Because you see, on Buddhism, there is no God. Buddhism is an atheistic religion. They don't claim to have a God. We can't just make stuff up. Christianity might be as false as every other worldview, but it's the only story that actually offers you any hope. And you can't just say all roads lead to God because they don't claim to. Buddhism doesn't have a God. On Hinduism and all these cool Eastern religions that loads of people are into, God isn't personal. He's not a person to be known and loved. You cannot say God is love because only a personal being can be loving. I don't love this speaker. I like it. It's a good speaker. It's helping you hear me. But I don't love it because it's not personal. I can't be in a relationship with it. These Eastern religions don't talk about a God who is personal. You cannot know him because he doesn't love you because he's not a person. He's just everything that is. He's just existence. You can't just make stuff up. He said, come on. Charlie said, come on. That sounds really exclusive. I said, yes, it is exclusive. I agree it's exclusive. But we've got to look at things on their own terms and in their own words. In the Quran, in the text, it says, Allah doesn't love the unbelievers. If Islam is true, or if all roads lead to God, and that God is the God of Islam, then most people in this room are in a lot of trouble. You're in a lot of trouble. We can't just make stuff up. Do you know how many religions say that God loves you unconditionally? One. Do you know how many religions 
say that you can be forgiven so that the stuff that you've done and the stuff that's been done to you doesn't get to define your future. One. Do you know how many religions say that you actually can be free? One. Do you know how many, this is all the same guy, by the way. It's not a spread bet. This is all the same one. Do you know how many religions say that you should believe that death is unnatural because it wasn't supposed to be that way and it won't be that way in the end? One. It's the story of Jesus Christ. And Charlie said to me, that sounds really exclusive. Surely, he said, surely it's about compassion. And I agree it's about compassion. You see, as Christians, what we're not saying is that we are better than anyone else. We're not. It's not Jesus, Christians, and everybody else. It's Jesus and everybody else. We're not saying that we are better or we are morally right because we're Christians. But it doesn't mean that we have to agree that everything is true because everything doesn't claim to be true. Everything doesn't claim to be the same. No religion says that all religions are the same. Charlie said, it's about compassion. I said, yes. So you believe then, Charlie, that compassion is wired into you. It's something that we all understand. He said, yeah, definitely. I said, great. Do you know what compassion means? He said, no. I said, I'll tell you. Compassion comes from two Latin words. Com, meaning with, and patio, meaning to suffer. Compassion means to suffer with. Do you know how many gods offer to suffer with and for you? One, Jesus Christ. Christianity, I need to tell you this, Christianity is massively exclusive. It really is. Do you know why it's exclusive? It's because it excludes all the religions where you're not worth dying for. Christianity excludes all the stories out there where your cries of pain are either unheard or unheeded. Christianity excludes all the religions where you're not loved unconditionally. And that's all the other religions. And frankly, my friends, I'll take that kind of exclusivity. I am happy to exclude any worldview, any religion where I'm not worth dying for. And so should you. This is why we call it the gospel, because it's good news. The story of Christianity is the story of Jesus coming to find us in our present when we felt like nothing and offering us everything. He comes, he finds you, and he allays your greatest fear that you're alone in the universe. And he says, no, you're not alone. Son, daughter, I know you, I see you, I love you, and I've come to find you. I've come to find you, to bring you home to the Father. You know, when you, when you accept Jesus, every day is Father's Day. When you know how loved you are, every day is Father's Day. Other religions will tell you that you can know things about God, but they won't tell you that you can know him because they don't claim to. Muhammad, again, Muhammad said, I do not know what will happen to me. Muhammad, who founded Islam, wasn't sure he'd lived a good enough life to get to heaven. And even if he had, the Islamic view of heaven is wine and women. God's not there. It's wine and women, which is great if you're a pirate from the 1700s. <laughs> what if you're a single mother from Hitchin? What if you're someone who struggled with alcohol? All your life. Hey, welcome to heaven. There's the bars. Some virgins here. Get involved. Gandhi, one of the greatest men who ever lived. Gandhi said, it is an unbroken torture to me that I do not know my creator. Gandhi, it's an unbroken torture. It never stops torturing me. The fact that I do not know my creator. Gandhi was expected to go through hundreds and hundreds of extra reincarnations. And even the reward on Hinduism is the snuffing out of the flame of desire. It's a blissful extinction, but it's extinction. 
And then Jesus comes along, swaggering into the story like the author of life that he is, and says, you know what? Bless these guys, but they're wrong. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, who's the truth, Jesus? It's me. Because guess what? Your deepest desire to be known and loved unconditionally is fulfilled in me. You want to know how loved you are? Come to me. You want to know real freedom? Come to me. Because he who the sun sets free and she who the sun sets free is free indeed. We're the only guys who can preach about freedom because we're the only guys who can preach security. You can't, no other religion will tell you about freedom because they, you can't be secure. They weren't secure in their relationship with God, so they couldn't preach freedom because you're only free when you know you're secure. At the cross, you can know that you're free because everything that you've done and everything that's been done to you is securely fastened to that cross. The cross is the thing that killed Jesus, but it's a stop sign for everything that would seek to kill you. The cross, my friends, is a cosmic restraining order against the powers of death and destruction. That's what the cross is. I don't know what you're going through in your life. Lots of people are dealing with lots of things. It might be depression. It might be anxiety. It might be self-harm. It might be unforgiveness. It might be rage. It might be fear. Do you know what? These things are real. These things are real, and you shouldn't be ashamed if you're struggling with these things. But you know what? Because of the cross, they don't get to win. Anxiety doesn't get to win. Depression doesn't get to win. Self-harm doesn't get to win. Porn addiction doesn't get to win. Alcoholism doesn't get to win. Because they're on the cross. They're real, and they don't get to win. They don't get to beat you. They don't get to have the final say. He does. He does. Colossians 2.15, Colossians 2.15, it's another letter. It says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I'll say that again because you need to hear it. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Whatever you're going through, as real as it is, it's on the cross And it doesn't get to win. Death doesn't get to win. You see, see, death doesn't work alone. Death has minions. Death has things working for it. Addiction works for death. Because if someone carries on drinking and chooses not to stop drinking, eventually they'll die. Fear ultimately leads to death. Because if you live in fear your entire life, you'll be so broken down that you won't have life. You'll just die. These things work for death. And at the cross, Jesus comes and he says, you know what? The thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. I have come so that you can have life and have it in its fullness. Not follow a set of rules, not just believe in a God, but actually experience life. This is why we call it the gospel, you know, because it's actually good news. That you are known and loved and seen and not written off. When Jesus says on the cross, it is finished. What he means by it is finished is that you're not finished because he's not finished with you. However you feel about him, he's not finished with you. 
And if you, if you want to say, I've never experienced this God, or if you've experienced unconditional love, you have. If you've experienced the desire for freedom, you have. If you know that some things are really wrong and some things are really right, you have experienced him because this is what it means to be made in the image of God. These are all signposts to him. When you realize that's what the cross is, when you realize how free you can be because of Jesus, then you can start to impact other people. So just a couple of things. When you realize that he's your dad and you're his kid, you realize that's a relationship and you can start to live in that relationship. Just a couple of quick stories to finish. I was on a train and um, this guy got on. He was in his early 20s, 22, 23, let's say. And he sits down and I said to the Lord, have you got anything for this guy? I'd love to share something with this guy. And I heard God say, and it's annoying when Christians say I heard God say, what do I mean by that? I don't mean he came over the tannoy or there was a big voice in the clouds. What I mean when I say I heard God say is that a thought dropped into my head that corresponded with a feeling in my heart that I should say something. I simply mean that. It's not a big external voice. It's the same voice that says, you've got to get your daughter from nursery. You're already four hours late. It's the same voice. <laughs> I heard God say, his name's Martin. Just tell him I love him. <laughs> I said, he's, not, he's 21. He's not called Martin. No one's called Martin. He's not 70, God. He's not called Martin. Martin. No one's called Martin. He's 21. He's not called Martin. And I just thought, you know what? I've got, that, I've got that wrong. I've probably been YouTubing Martin Clunes or something like that. And why not? He's a great actor. I don't blame myself. But I didn't say anything. Later on in the train journey, this guy gets his bank card out, and he's called Martin. Oh, no. And this is not a good story. There's no redemption here. I didn't say anything. Because you can't say anything at that point. Excuse me, is your name Martin? Oh, wow, how did you know that, Darren Brown? You're a genius. I didn't say anything. But I realized at that point that I'd heard from God. My father had spoken to me for the benefit of somebody else. And out of my own fear, I'd stayed silent. But I was in South Africa. I was doing some gigs in South Africa. And I was in this um, Life Church Bryanston in Johannesburg. The people who witnessed this are still alive today. You can check this with them if you want to. And before the, uh, it was about, there was about, it was an evening service, about 300 people, mainly white, but a few people of Zulu heritage as well. And I was writing down, I was trying to pray beforehand and writing down in my little pad things that I thought God might be saying. And uh, at the end of the service, I just said, look, if anybody, I've got something specific, but I didn't want to say the specific thing. I said, if anyone has lost a child, I'd love to pray with you. If you want to come and find me afterwards, I'll, I'd love to pray with you. And four people came up after to speak to me. And the first three were all young girls uh, who'd got a friend who'd had a miscarriage. All of them, they'd all had a friend who had a miscarriage. And that wasn't what I'd written down. But I said, look, you know, God knew that baby. That was a, that was a baby. God knows that baby. He, he knew the baby before he made the baby in its mother's womb. So let's pray for the mom. Let's pray for the baby. The baby's safe with Jesus now. That was great. Then this other lady came up. Um, a black lady, and she said, my name's Josephine. And you didn't say, you see, my son's not dead, but you didn't say whose son is dead. You said, who's lost a son? And I've lost my son. I've lost him to drugs. He's in the world of drugs, and I don't know where he is. And she could see that I'd started crying. I said, Josephine, can you just stay there while I go and get my pad? And I went to get my pad, which I've still got, and I showed her what I'd written down before the service. And what I'd written down was this. A black lady named Josephine has lost a child, and God will give her back a son. And I was like, oh my gosh, are you serious, God? Are you seriously telling me that a little boy from Newcastle under Lyme can go all the way to Johannesburg and meet someone of Zulu heritage and you can speak into that situation and bring fullness and bring hope and bring redemption? 
And the answer is yes, he can do that. And he does do that because he's the Lord. He is the sustainer of all things. He is love and light and life. The three words that describe God in the New Testament. Love, light and life. If you want to know what love is like, you've got to come to Jesus. If you want to know what life is like, you've got to come to Jesus. If you want to know what light is like and life is like, you've got to come to Jesus. Not because he'll be angry if you don't, but because that's where these things are. So I'm asking you today to come to the cross, actually. That's what we're asking. <laughs> asking you to come to the cross, not because God will be angry if you don't, but because actually the cross is the only place in the universe where you can know that you're free. The, the cross is the only place in the universe where you know that you're worth dying for. And the person that you know you were born to be, because there's people in this room who say, I'm not living the life I was born for. I know my life is not as it was supposed to be. And that's true. So why don't you come to the cross today? Why don't you come to the author of life and let him write the next few chapters of your life along with you? Why don't you do that? Whoever you are, wherever you've been up to this point, why don't you come to the cross? Why don't you come to the cross, you addicts, and realize that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free? Why don't you come to the cross, you self-harmers, and realize that by his wounds, your wounds are healed? Why don't you come to the cross, you depressives, and understand that in his presence is fullness of joy? Why don't you come to a cross, you adulterers, and realize that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Will you come to the cross, all you who have been abused, and understand that there is neither life nor death, nor angels nor demons, nor any power, nor the present, nor the future, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus and only in him. I'm hoping that you'll do that and I'm hoping if we could, can we get the band up and do one more song? And then we'll ask, we'll, ask, we'll do one song, we'll ask afterwards if, if anyone wants to say yes to Jesus. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping, wait, wait, wait. I'm hoping you can come up. As you think about that, you think about the things that you know to be true. That you'll realize that actually Jesus Christ hasn't been absent from your life. He's actually been there the whole time. Just hidden in plain sight and maybe you just weren't looking properly. Maybe you just needed to look at him from a slightly different angle. See, as chaotic and messy as it is, he's been there the whole time. Let's do one song. Thank you. <laughs>